0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Enger, and today I am also flying solo like I did last week. And in this episode, I am going to do a coach's q and I've been getting a lot of questions through DM and through our GroupMe app in our community of Glam Girls. And I wanted to address uh, at least one or two of the questions this week, as i have time so if you would like to send me any further you know questions or if you have ideas on different topics that you would like to hear about you can always shoot me a dm my personal instagram is amy anger and that's spelled a m y e h i n g e r or you can go to glam girl bikini or prep life podcast any of those i manage and i'm happy to you know facilitate any sort of questions that you may have uh, when it comes to the prep life and living that journey out. So this past weekend, I was in Des Moines, Iowa for our team show. It's always just the best part of coaching to see someone's show day and see things come to fruition. And I I just saw so many great things this weekend. And I feel like every time I'm in the trenches, I learn new things and see new trends And see what judges are awarding. And I cannot wait. In just a couple of days, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. Here, I'm going to be flying out on Thursday for the Ben Weider Natural uh, Pro-Am. And it's going to be so exciting. We have seven glam girls competing at that show in all different categories. And that one, you earn your Pro Card. You can earn it in the open class and you have to win A through H, and then you have to win the overall to win the pro card there, or you can earn it as a master's competitor. They have A and B, 35, 40, and 50. And then, so you have to win the overall in your master's class. So for example, like A and B have to do an overall for 35, and then you also have to win the overall overall. So once you've won the overall in the 35, 40, or 50, then you also have to win the overall out of those three. So there's just two pro cards awarded in bikini, and that's what we have um, this go-around are all bikini competitors. We had a wellness competitor last weekend, and it's just such a pleasure to be a part of these ladies' journeys. I love just making them feel like queen for a day and just really catering to them. And these team shows are super special. We usually have one every like spring, summer, and fall. And it's just an opportunity where uh, competitors can have their coach with them uh, at their sides, but in kind of helping them through it every step of the way, we do like a team posing on Friday night. And then we had an awesome photo shoot with Steven Smith Studios in between pre-judging and the night show. And that's always been a tradition since I started this company. And it's such a great way because the um, of doing things, I feel like with the competitors and doing them a good service in terms of when you're on show day, I feel like sometimes there's been times where I've been so busy and stressed and I hardly get any good quality pictures and they get tons of photos of them in their suits and then also in some fitness gear. So it's a pretty fun time. And then we had a nice celebration with a team dinner out afterwards. So those are always fun things. And um, I am really looking forward to the Ben Wiener. I will keep you posted on the happenings there, but I wanted to address this first question. It's from my client, actually, Erin Lucas. She wanted to know about deloading and is she doing it properly? And so I think it comes at a great time because right now we have a lot of people in and out of peak week and There's two different types of deloading that occur in that whole like peak week and post peak week or post show process that are, you know, differentiated. So I wanted to talk about, she wanted specifically to know if she was approaching it right. Uh, She's just really unsure about intensity and things like that. So I wanted to first go over the three types of deloading. And the first type of deload is just the week off. So there's a lot of people that, you know, especially old time bodybuilders like the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and things like that, they would take a full week of deloading where they would just not lift at all. Um, this, I don't believe the research backs anymore um, with recent evidence that, you um, Yes, you do not lose your gains, you know, if you don't live for two to three weeks. So if you have an injury, an illness, you're on vacation, those would be kind of like an intentional week off, um, type of deload, but the research shows that you won't lose muscle, but there's really no reason why you can't just have like active recovery deload and things like that. So that would be, um, the preferred method if people were to program that in where I utilize these as a strategy for my athletes is when I have pretty high stress, high cortisol. Um, Maybe the adrenals are extremely taxed in this individual's case where their CNS is just absolutely fried. And I know that they would benefit from a week away from the gym. You know, sometimes it's a mental break. Sometimes it's a physical break. But either way, that's the only time I really do just a prescribed full week off. And that's just to kind of manage their adrenals and their cortisol levels. And usually it does them wonders and they can, you know, run through plateaus um, if they had been struggling and um, it usually helps in that area. The second one is a taper week, and this is probably more well known in the like power um, lifting world where they taper and then, you know, do their performance, uh, like max and all of that. But in this case for bodybuilding, which, you know, powerlifting is a totally different energy system. You know, you're going by strength and, um, like force and performance and things like that. But then when you talk about hypertrophy, you're just putting time under tension at the muscle. And we're going for those glamour muscles. So when we would use a taper is actually in peak week. So with peak week, you know, it's basically a deload. So the week before your peak week is actually really your push week. That's when you're pushing the weights hard. You're really going, you know, balls to the walls, so to speak with your cardio And you're really hammering it. And then as we go through peak week, we're slowly tapering down on our cardio, slowly tapering down on our um, steps. And then also for me, um, you know, it's with my athletes, they're going significantly down in their weights. And it's more about just keeping their heart rate up. They're not going to put on any muscle necessarily. We're just trying to get inflammation out of there. So it's in a way like another form of, Um, just kind of like reminding their muscles that they need them to be there. And, um, as the week goes along, you know, it may go from like four to three to two sets and it's higher repetitions, lower weight. And so that's where I find a taper week is very useful in bodybuilding because it brings inflammation out of that athlete's body. And so they're looking nice and fresh and healthy on stage. And then basically you have this standard deload. And this one can be prescribed or, um, like every four to eight weeks is pretty standard protocol. Um, you know, people that are new to lifting really don't need these prescribed deloads because they're not working hard enough. Um, they're not experienced enough in their lifting to understand the amount of intensity that they actually need. So if you think back to, if you're a seasoned lifter and you think back to like, when you first started lifting, even for me, like my first probably five to seven years of bodybuilding, I would say I was working at about an 80% pretty much all the time. I was team, you know, no days off. And the reason why I could do that and I could turn around and go back to the gym without rest days is basically because I wasn't working at my full capacity. I wasn't utilizing um, progressive overload. I wasn't, utilizing the intensity that was required to really push my body to, um, you know, make those improvements. So when we talk about progressive overload, whether that's like moving up in our weights at the same repetition, or maybe it's at the same weight, moving up in our repetition range, um, maybe taking, you know, shorter rest periods or, you know, Adding some type of volume, but you're progressively overloading your system so that you're constantly, um, you know, putting a new stimulus on your body. So in that sense, you're going to change when you're putting, um, you know, something more on your body. We're creatures of homeostasis; we like being comfortable. Um, We like that comfort zone. So our bodies are going to work and adapt to get us back to that homeostasis. So we have to constantly be progressively overloading it with new stimulus so that we're constantly changing and growing. So with that, um, you know, with the standard deload, um, I would say, you know, there's a couple of ways that you could do it, but you're, you're going to have like two kind of toggle switches when it comes to it. And that's volume and intensity. And so you can, maybe pull down, ratchet down your intensity um, during your deload, and you could, uh, you know, work on technique. A lot of people call this like a technique week. Um, you could also pull down your volume. Um, you know, if you had four sets going, to, moving to three, or if you had three sets moving to two sets, and then another way to measure intensity is by your RPE. So for example, if you were working at like an eight to 10 on a one to 10 scale, you could ratchet that back down to like a six to an eight. And so you're, you're going to need to like self-regulate that basically. But if you really think about this type of deload, it's more about just kind of lowering the weight and really feeling that mind muscle connection, really feeling the squeeze on each of your lifts and going lighter. Um, So you can just simply think of a a deload as a going lighter type of week, if that makes sense. Okay. So different types of approaches to the deloads, you can do a proactive deload. I briefly kind of talked about that, that if you are you know, a seasoned lifter, it may be every four to eight weeks that you just have it programmed in, into your general like regiment. And, um, you just know like, okay, this person really pushes 100% in the gym. We need to just schedule a deload every four to eight weeks. And then you also have the reactive deload where, you know, some of the times maybe it's, um, like a, a stressful week or um, they could be sick or they could just be like self-regulating where they just feel like, Hey, I need a deload this week. I need to go lighter by like 30%. So you're going at about 70% of your normal capacity and intensity and the kind of circling back. So I had mentioned that there's two in particular that kind of go around the peak week and show day experience that this is the one, um, the standard, sorry, number three that I mentioned, the standard deload is basically what you do post show. So with the standard deload, again, you're working at 10 to like 30% less of the weight that you would normally lift. Um, you know, as a coach, Remember, progressive overload is like days that you're training to. So frequency is one way to overload. Um, so for me, like if I have a competitor doing four days of lifting on a deload, you know, previous to that, they were lifting five or six times. So I'm taking two complete days off. So I'm reducing their volume by a lot. So in that sense alone, we are deloading. I do the same thing with cardio. Like, for example, if they are doing six days a week at 30 minutes, then they might be doing four days at like 20 minutes or 25. But we're definitely decreasing the amount of time spent there. This can do a couple of things after a show. You're extremely sore if you've ever posed, um, especially if you're in a lot of categories, you know that you feel like you got hit by a truck the next day. So, you know, you may need a couple of days where you're taking rest days. And so that will, that will help you too. Um, In this case with the deload is when there's less days that you have to train, um, you kind of give your body a little bit of time to bounce back. I'm one of those people that I like to go into the gym, like the next morning um, with the cardio and the weights. And I just like to really push, especially if I had like a nice meal out. Um, I just love getting a good pump with the tan on. And so that could be, you know, that could be something to consider that you just, you want to go a little bit less intense afterwards, just for soreness and things like that. So all in all with the deload, I hope Aaron, that answered your question. Um, Just when you're thinking about your deloads and everything, um, remember that you, you want to make sure that you're having enough time to bounce back so that you're, you know, addressing certain factors. Like, uh, for example, you want to be able to get really good quality sleep. Um, you want to make sure that you're supporting yourself nutritionally. So just because you're deloading doesn't mean that you should lower calories. This is a recovery time for your body to repair and heal and proper nutrition is super important. So lowering calories isn't, um, a good move and we want to, you know, really leverage this time off so that we can actually grow. And, um, you know, in some cases, some people with less days, less cardio, you know, they get more sleep and that really benefits them. But just kind of keep that in mind when you're thinking about um, deloads. And then let's see, I'm going to go to the next question. I believe it was about judges feedback, which I think is very prevalent to this time of year, um, especially for my team and my coaching. So the question is from Michelle and she said, I'm always curious how coaches approach feedback specifically. Can you give real life examples of how a judge has provided feedback and how you addressed it with client, um, example, added certain exercise to grow, modify glutes or adjusted type of cardio, et cetera um thank you for the question michelle and i think that so if i'm at a show i feel like it's and i don't mean to sound like um like i'm being cocky that i know more than the judges because that's absolutely not true um i've been in their seat and i totally know that judging is you know a hard job and it's um it's one of those things that if you're a coach you're sitting basically i was you know sitting in the chairs like pretty much behind the judges. So I could see everything that they were seeing um, these last couple of shows that I've been to, like the Olympia. I was right behind the judges and, um, or the Olympic amateur. And then um, even like the natural Kentucky that we did in the end of September. And then this past show in Iowa. And I will tell you that because I'm obviously clued in on where, what my athletes, you know, their journey and everything. And obviously I'm looking at them, um, quite a bit more. Sometimes the judge's feedback can be extremely vague, um, especially like if the the judge's feedback is based on photos. Um, for example, like if you don't quite have the stage shots yet and you try to like use photos from a camera uh, and they're very low quality, if the judges didn't take good notes, it makes it really hard for them to kind of give like a fair assessment. Um, now if the stage shots are up, sorry, my Siri's talking to me. Um, but if you did get the stage shots from MPC news online, those are all, always really high quality. Um, it can, it can help. Uh, I know that Sandy, what she does is if she's not at the show judging, cause she does take great notes, which is what I do as well as a judge too, because I want to make sure that I'm giving specific feedback and I'm remembering specific details that that competitor would benefit from. Um, basically, you're you're going to look at what they say. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to take it with a grain of salt. If you come up to them after a show, you talk to them in person, they have notes, kind of like Sandy and Becky do, then you should 100% like follow that to a T when you get into regional shows and you're going by pictures and it it just seems like sometimes they have like kind of like a canned response, like get tighter in your glutes, build bigger shoulders. Um, So a lot of times it can be just more like the me as a coach kind of giving them feedback. If I'm at the show, it's a really good opportunity for me to see you know, what they look like under the lights in a tan and kind of the tweaks that we need to make um, from there. So I guess if I were to give you a specific, so some of the typical things that you'll hear, um, for example, if you hear at all that you need to grow and you have a shorter timeline for your next show coming around the corner, then I would suggest that you think hard about long and hard about doing that next show. Um, If you get the feedback that you just need to tighten up, then it's definitely a case where you could easily do that. So to answer your question a little bit there, um, Michelle, like, so if they tell my competitor to tighten up, we're going to ramp up the steps, ramp up the cardio, you know, depending on what toolbox tool I want to use. If it's, you know, um, maybe we need a calorie adjustment, um, you know, maybe like their macro ratios aren't right, but we need, if we need to tighten up, then we were addressing conditioning. So, um, you know, if a body part is too big, then we're going to like kind of back off of that part and kind of atrophy it. And uh, like for me with a lot of my competitors, I'll design specific programming. So if they say specifically, like you really need a lot more front delt or you really need to build your rear delts. You need balance for your upper body to match your lower body. So we'll work on back, so we get a better taper, work on rounder shoulders, um, and so that our physiques kind of get balanced out. There's there's different things. Um, you know, sometimes like the, the judges will say specifically, you need a little bit more upper glute in that case than I would program a lot more abduction work with my competitors. Um, if they need, you know, more conditioning in the tie-in area, sometimes that's putting on more size in the glute and hitting it from different angles, um, which that's a growth thing. Um, but, but then it can also be a conditioning thing. So if they need sharper tie-ins, it's typically a combination of both the bigger the muscle, the more it pushes against the skin, the less body fat you have to bring off. If you have smaller glutes, it's a lot harder to get your tie-ins to show. You have to be at a lot lower body fat percentage if you don't have as much muscle in the glute. So these are things that we kind of take and then we adjust and tweak. And I hope that answers your question. Um, You know, I've heard this year you know if if people will are saying like a lot of a lot of times that the feedback that i'm hearing is just like um just a little bit tighter in the glutes and you know if it's at a regional show i intentionally um kind of change the conditioning level for the next show in terms of like a national show we're a little bit sharper um Because sometimes if you come in too hard in your tie-ins and too conditioned at a regional show, you can also get marked down for that. Um, So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Um, Yeah, again, I have not done... This is my second solo episode, so bear with me while I ramble and... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it feels a little strange to me still, but I'm gonna try to keep getting used to it so that I can get you guys some good content and really answer your questions that you have. So if you would like to join the team and have your unicorn prep, we are a very personalized team where we get to know our athletes, we get to know their likes, their dislikes, and um pretty much every detail and really cater to them. We really take our time and um you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button to apply for the team. And as I mentioned in the beginning, you can follow us on Instagram at Pref life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. If you feel it in your heart, um, please leave a rating and a review. If you enjoyed the content, just go ahead and pay it forward. Please tag us on your stories, share it. And those readings or reviews just help it, pay it forward to the next person so that they can find it if they are interested in similar topics like you. All right. With that, this is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini signing off. Thanks for listening, guys.